Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'd like to introduce to the uh, Backseat Driver Radio Show the man that I describe as the happiest rally driver I know. No matter what might be happening on the stage, to his car or anything else, the one, the only Mr. Neil Brighton always has a smile on his face and he's always laughing, which is something of a surprise given some of the rally drivers I've dealt with over the many years. Neil Brighton, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you for having me on the show, Mark. <laughs> now... How did rallying start for you? Is it a family tradition or was it something that, uh, is, is it a route or a stage you took on your own? Uh, it's a route that I've taken by myself, obviously with friends pointing me in that direction. It's nothing to do with my family. We never came from a, a motorsport family um, at all. I mean, I, I was grew up and I, I loved motorbikes and I, I actually did motocross for a couple of years um, myself. And again, but the cars came along later. Um, uh, with, because of some friends, but and, and it, I didn't intend to do rallying, <laughs> but um, uh, it just seemed to it seemed to, the progression just seemed to go in that direction with terms of what people around me were doing, and and uh, and I got involved and found that I quite liked it. So, I mean, where did you start? What was, I mean, how old were you and where, how did you start out? Because a lot of rally drivers start out as car drivers. Um, no, I did, I, I, did I, I went and did some co-driving for um, a friend of mine called Lyle Armstrong. Um, we went out to Catalonia to do, we were, we were at that time doing lots of the demonstration rallies. Yeah, I knew, you know, it was all new to me. So, what the difference between a demonstration rally and a main rally didn't seem to make much difference. I mean, you were on in a car traveling down a stage at high speed. Yeah, and, um, and Lyle had a Metro six R four, and uh, we went out to Catalonia, and I co-drove for him there on on. It was a round of the WRC where we were doing the historic section. Yeah, uh, that was in ninety ninety eight ninety nine. Um, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, being there, even if I was scared out of my wits. I was going to say you didn't—you didn't start in one of the more, shall we say, driver-stroke, co-driver-friendly cars, did you? I mean, I've been a passenger in one, and th- they are one of the most extreme cars I've ever been in. Yeah, definitely, it was a real shock to the system when um, when I'd agreed to go with him in the car. Um, we we set out from the um, the Olympic Hotel in Lorette de Mar on the morning to go up to um, to a place called Manilu, which was the first service, which was about fifty miles away. And um, we came out of the Olympic Hotel with around us all these different Group B and historic cars that were doing this the, the historic section, and everybody was eager to go. And he blasted up the road, and for the first time. I was afraid in a car. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh God, what have I let myself in for? Uh, we've all, I've only done four miles and there's 300 of them in front of me. <laughs> yeah, and we, it just 
just was accelerated so hard and you were pushed into the seat and the noise behind you um, with the engine barking away. And uh, and, I, and it was the first time in my life that I was ever car sick. Yeah. And, uh, and I was. I, I, I was car sick. We pulled over. I, I did what I needed to do at the roadside. We got back in and I was fine after that. <laughs> <laughs> But somewhere along the lines, you persevered. So, I mean, how long did you co-drive for? Well, I did a, I did a, a few events, um, but obviously, being young and male, I just wanted to drive myself. Yeah. I didn't want to, didn't want to be sat in the seat. I wanted to drive a car, and uh, it didn't take long. Yeah, the co-driver doesn't, the co-driver doesn't get the glamour out of the job, does it? <laughs> no, no. I mean, one, one horrible one awkward story you talk about glamour was, was when we we actually gone to do this rally in Catalonia and uh, we'd done the shade down and we'd done one of the stages and, and the car broke an oil pump belt on the road section <clears throat> and we pulled up next to a set of Ford mechanics who were waiting to service one of the cars in the WRC they couldn't help us but they but we uh, Lyle called for service and they went him and a friend went back down to 50 miles back down to the olympic hotel to get to get the trailer to come and rescue the car yeah and of course i had there wasn't any room in the car so i had to stay with the metro at the roadside and um which it took them nigh on two and a half hours to go and come back yeah um, so there's no toilet facility there's nothing to eat you're stuck and then the ford mechanics packed up and left because the rally had moved on and I was stood there with people turning up taking pictures of this fella's car and then they did turn up with the van and trailer but with a load of friends and there was no room for me in the car so I had to sit in the metro on the trailer on the way back <laughs> so there was definitely no, no glamour for the co-driver at that time <laughs> so yeah it wasn't, it wasn't the best experience of my life but um, that's how it went so, when you transitioned from the co-driver's seat to the driver's seat, what did you start with? Were you driving your own car or was somebody else allowing you to drive? I was driving my own cars. I, I, I'd, um, uh, you've seen the Renault 5 Turbo that I've got now. I had one before that. Yeah. Um, and I started using that. I, I built that car up. And um, this is all Lars' fault because he had a Renault 5 Turbo. Uh, before and he got me hooked on them and um, so I started with that and went out and started first off started doing track days trying to learn how to drive (laughs) (laughs) I I remember going to um, a track day at Castle Coombe and going into the driver's briefing and uh, they said to us well here's um, the main straight and there's a slight dog leg kink to the right slight kink slight bend it's nothing much before you get down to quarry and what have you and uh uh, he said, you go through here flat, and if you're not comfortable, keep over to the right and let people stay on the line. And, and I remember coming down there and and totally losing the plot and not thinking, oh, no, it's going to crash, it's going to crash, it's going to crash. <laughs> and, uh, well, meanwhile, the rest of the field passed you by. Yeah. You know, full chat. And you're, uh, because it was out beyond my limit of experience at the time. Yeah. Uh, I'd never been quite that fast around the, down the straight. And or with a bend, or what appeared to be a bend. And, uh, but by the end of the afternoon, um, the car couldn't go fast enough for me. Yeah. You know, and that's how quickly you sort of took it on. I need this to go quicker through that corner where earlier you were like backing, hitting the brakes really hard, trying to slow yourself down. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's. Um, I started with that track day stuff and then I joined the custom car clubs 
um, and they did a, they did a number of events in different circuits that you went to, um, and you know then it progressed from there to going abroad. That we started doing some of the more of the demo because I primarily only ever really been into the demonstration scene. Yeah, um, you know because of money permitting, and we were we were then going off to Germany to do the Eiffel Rally. Um, we were going over to Ireland to do the Rally of the Lakes. Um, you know, and, and some of these, when you get there, I mean, they're, they're very different events. The Eiffel is very, very much, when we started doing it, it was a part of the German National Championship and we just tagged on the end of it. Yeah. And I know that the event has changed now and it's very much just about the historic cars. Um, uh, but, it, but it was, the, the German stuff had a feel, the roads were smooth, they were lovely. You could go and it was like a load of, you know, reasonably well-heeled playboys just having fun in cars. Yeah. Uh, but when you went and did Ireland, like Rally of the Lakes, <laughs> you were really in it at the deep end. Yeah. Because the roads were three-ply in places, they were rough and tough, the Irish took no prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, and they were lovely people, don't get me wrong, they absolutely loved their rallying and accommodated you wherever they could. But the stages, I mean, I mean, I just remember going, doing the Moles Gap stage and going up and, you know, the road was rough, there were waterfalls, there were um, concrete, there was, it was rock side, there were falls off the side, and you're going up as fast as you thought you could, and um, and then you'd go up at the top and go left and over the, through the arch and down, and it, and it was like, you, re you really better know what you're doing, because you could lose your life here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. said when you're out in Ireland because you've been talking about some roads that I know or I used to know quite well it was always the rule of thumb if there was a road sign that said slow dangerous corner that was the indication to the Irish to change down a gear and hit the throttle even harder <laughs> Few cars go off there, uh, and we don't want 
want her to take any of you people down that way. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't know whether we should have breathed a sigh of relief or, or not, but, but again, seeing some of the cars coming back in where they, you know, lost the, lost it on the road. Yeah. Uh, you just thought, well, maybe they knew, knew what they were doing. They didn't want the rally being held up by a couple of us falling off the road, um, just not able to deal with the conditions. But, but yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's always been, uh, the, you know, the Irish rallies, they always stick in my mind as, um, you know, if you can, if you think when, when I did Catalonia, um, I went off to do the recce. Yeah. Uh, and I borrowed um, um, a Mr. Shogun that one of the guys had, and I'd driven up, and I was doing doing the recce and writing the notes. <clears throat> and we're going up this hill on this mountainside, and it was the road was so narrow that I was hoping, please don't let anyone be coming down while I'm going up because <laughs> <laughs> there's nowhere to go. And uh, and someone did come down and of course i'm in um i'm driving this right hand drive car and uh, and there were drops off the side of the hillside that were so horrible that uh, if you would have fallen off there you would your clothes would have gone out of fashion before you hit the bottom yeah. it was so far down and uh, you know and i remember going back down into um <clears throat> into lorette and saying to lyle um do you know what day two because he had he had a couple of friends who'd come down from manchester yeah and uh, one of them you know wanted to get in the car and, and he said well no neil's paid the money he's gonna he's got to go in the car but i remember going back and saying if you want to if you want to put roy in the car <laughs> <laughs> feel free <laughs> feel free and uh, and then i also you know i, I was like look you um this is a serious thing where we're going tomorrow the, the roads are really treacherous and um please don't be getting on going out on the lash yeah and get you know because we've got to get up early in the morning and i don't you know so uh he and a couple of the guys wanted to go out that evening and i, and I said well, i'm gonna go and um i'm staying in uh not being a killjoy but i'm staying in i guess get, i want to be tired in the morning so i know what you people get like yeah and uh, so he said no 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 well uh, I'm, I'm gonna stay in i'm gonna stay in he says <laughs> so <laughs> So he went to bed, I went into my room, and I woke up in the morning, and, you know, we got up to go, and uh, he was hanging, he was really hanging, Yeah, so I was, and uh, of course, this was, this was the morning when the, the oil pump belt failed, Yeah, all right, on the way up, but the thing was, I, I didn't find out until 10 years later, <laughs> ten, 10 years later he admitted to me when I went to bed he waited till I was asleep and then they all nipped out yeah. <laughs> the other lads Roy and Ali and everyone turned up and they all went out and he said when you knocked on my door in the morning I'd only been in bed for 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said well that's why you wouldn't speak in the car on the way up but you know, you do. For, it was the ten years it took me to find that out. But by then, we could just laugh about it. But then, but then in the other way, I like it. I count my lucky stars that, that, that we didn't go up on some of those stages because <laughs> we would have been drunk as a skunk. And uh, and, that, and that was the only place that I was afraid of when you compared it to sort of the stuff in Ireland. Some of the stuff really would challenge you. Yeah. So after Ireland, I mean, how did your career progress? <clears throat> 
but we we did a lot of that stuff for a, a few years the, the, the back and forth to the to the demonstration stuff um then there was a there was a a desire or things were starting to grow in the uk um some of the clubs were coming out because we started off with a club called slowly sideways yep then, then it then it became rallying with group b uh, and various fellas just coming to bring some flowers hold on one second he's going to knock the door <laughs> right if you wonder what's going on folks it's uh, neil's wife's birthday today so there's uh, various things going on in the background you just grab these and bring them in <laughs> she said they were going to be coming so <laughs> So whilst we're on, we shall wish Neil's wife a bit, what will now be a belated happy birthday. <laughs> right, I'm back. Right. So where, where did you progress? Like you said, you were with Slowly Sideways, who hosted uh, an enormous number of events throughout Europe. Uh, yeah. And the one thing that I always noticed, because you said you'd done the uh, Eiffel Rally, it was an event that uh, I competed in on a few occasions in the historic section, and it did get to the stage after the national championship cars had gone through that the historics followed on behind. The historics were generating more interest with the general public than the full-blown rally was. Definitely so. Um, I mean, it literally... We, we would turn up in the car park in the centre of either, in the centre of the town um, and uh, we'd all be moved off originally we'd moved off to the side roads while the main rally took centre stage yeah that that then when the historic started to grow in number that then transitioned and then it became the case that um, the two couldn't live together the national and the historic they couldn't live together no and um, <clears throat> I did an interview with Reinhard Klein some years ago for my Facebook group, uh, Group B Today, and uh, we talked about this and he said it, they decided they parted company in mutual terms and the Eiffel then, the rally using the historic, really grew and exploded with the amount of people wanting to come along with various historic cars. So it's an event in itself and it's probably the forerunner to lots of the things we now see across Europe, Rally Legends, Rally Costa Brava, lots of these things have just taken their, their direction from the Eiffel. And as I said, it, it's, it's fascinating because it has grown and grown and grown. But the one thing about your good self is like you, you have a passion for Renault 5s. Uh, the one that you're best known for is your uh, Renault 5 Maxi Turbo, which is in full DIAC uh, livery, etc. And it attracts an enormous amount of attention. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it's, a, it's, it's been built to replicate one of Jean Ragnotti's cars. Not Ragnotti, um, <clears throat> a guy called Francois Chatrio. Right. Yeah, who um, he, he drove, it was a semi-works um, in the Dyak colours, a work-sponsored car, and Chatrio sort of ran, ran in Dyak sponsorship for a few years in in the Group 4 cars, the Group B cars, uh, and then later on he was in, he, he even drove with ProDrive alongside Colin McRae. Um, so he, he was, it was, it was that, that was where the car, or the, my mind was with the car, was that I wanted, I wanted to replicate his, um, his Dyak car. Um, it wasn't actually Ragnotti, although it's the same type of car, but, um, it, it's been, a, it's been something that, um, I'd already previously replicated his Group 4 car. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure why that particular, because a lot of people 
think of Renault 5 and they think of the Philips Maxi 5 Turbo, blue yeah. and red one, yeah. Ragnotti one, and they're all, and then I, you know, I actually thought down that road as well when, before putting the paint scheme on the car and then, and then I'd looked click carefully at the diet ones and I just thought this one just knocks the spots off and it's distinctive because too many people will want to do the blue and red Yeah, and I want something that's distinct on its own. Um, and the diet one really appealed to me, um, and uh, so I, I went with that colour scheme. Now, when you when you when you build a car like that, uh, do you, can you get access to, shall we say, <clears throat> the works cars? I mean, are you able to replicate them perfectly? Well, the thing was at the time, um, we're going back to '97, '98 when I started the build. We didn't really have a lot going on internet-wise and data-wise. I was again, I was part of the group B Car Club at that time, as, and um, we had a registrar there, a guy called Alan Eisner. And Alan knew a lot about Renault Fives. He was in contact with John Price, the late John Price, God rest him, um, and. Uh, there was some information that you could glean um, yeah. about these, and then you were looking at videos, and I mean VHS, uh, you were looking at pictures in books, there was a guy called Peter Meany who published a book on the Renault 5, and you were taking pictures, um, and then um, I was given a microfiche book, um, which had lots of information in it, I was given PDFs, what we call, we call it a PDF now, with measurements and all sorts of stuff in it which made it sort of possible to go forward with the with the build yeah um, and uh, uh and what i what I, the option that i had which a lot of people didn't have at the time was a lot of people would look at that i've got a renault 5 turbo to the mid-engine road going car yeah it's valued at x yeah do i now cut it up and turn it into something it's not and lose the, thereby lose the value. So people didn't want to go down that road. And if they did, they didn't even they didn't replicate it properly. Yeah. Um, and so they were always coming in for criticism. And I, I had the option of actually saying, do you know what? I'm going to do a ground zero build here. I'm going to go and start with an 1100 cc body shell. Yeah. Right, which is what they did with the Maxi. They start. They didn't start with the Turbo Two. They went back to the beginning. And uh, the reason for that was because lots of the suspension pickup points needed to be removed and replaced. Yeah. In, into different, the geometry was different, the length of the car was different, the width of the car was different. There was all these different things which, if you had a turbo two, you'd have just said, uh, leave that, leave that, that'll be all right, leave that, no one's going to know. Yeah. Whereas I wanted to do it properly. So um, being the glutton for punishment that I was at the time, <laughs> I was foolish. <laughs> I set off to build this car and believe me there were many days when I just wanted to, to throw tip the petrol can over in the garage walk away and throw a match in <laughs> <You know? laughs> because it was just it was so taxing at times trying to get things trying to get things right um, and um, if I'm honest the car developed into what I wanted over a period of time yeah um, as things became available, as I got more information, as the internet came up, and you could actually find out that that bit which you thought looked like this was actually more like that. Yeah. So we're going to strip this all off and we're going to redo it. So now I have a car which I would say, as far as replication is concerned, 
um, is somewhere to the order of 97% accurate. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, looking at it, and I follow you on Facebook, uh, it looks like the bugger's bit because you're now doing a, a, a replica Peugeot, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the 206. Um, again, another thing that I used to love when my, when my son was little and we, and I'd be, you know, m me and my wife, we chose to share the care for Jonathan when he was young. So I was self-employed at the time, so I could take a couple of days out a week and stay home and look after him. And she would do the same with her work. Yeah. And of course, you're bored now, so I'd be sitting at home watching rally videos, watching <laughs> rally <laughs> while he's playing with his toys. And, um, uh, I, I fell in love with the 206 WRC with Grunholm behind the wheel and Burns eventually, um, Panixi and Delacorte, everybody, you know, I just loved the car. Yeah. But it was never something that I thought I would have and, and um, I actually wanted at some point to build uh, a McRae Focus replica but then there were, I thought, you know what, it's too easy to do. I yeah. actually researched it but it was too easy to do and I wanted... I thought, why don't you do the one that you really wanted that you thought you couldn't? Do the 206. Yeah. Because no one's done this. Um, and when I say no one's done this, people have put body kits on cars. But I didn't, I, same as with the Renault, I really didn't want a body kit lookalike. Yeah. It was, that was a pointless exercise to me. I needed a proper, full-on, two-litre turbocharged, four-wheel drive, um, semi-active, 206 WRC yeah and uh, so that's what I set out to do um, and by now unlike with the Renault um, there was there was a lot of information about the cars dimensions there were images there was parts that you could buy off the shelf right um, to make this happen and um, and it's been two years in March will be two years and we're I'm at the point where in the next couple of weeks the engine should start for the first time right so, I mean, just out of interest, where do you get the engine from? Well, you what you do is you, I looked at what was the engine that they were using in the car originally. What did Peugeot use in there? And it was obviously a derivative of what started off in the 205 Turbo 16, which was then brought up to date and detuned. Because, yeah. of course, you didn't need 600 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, an aluminium block which they'd renamed as an EW10 yeah. for modern purposes going into the road car. So I, and these were 10 a penny, you could get these anywhere. They were in Citroën, Spurgeons, they were all over the place. So I bought two yeah. um, engines and started to work with one and stripped it down. And, and it was a two litre normally aspirated engine. So of course that meant you now need to have um, new rods, new pistons, new cams, you've got to design manifolds, the whole shebang had to be done, the whole engine was stripped, I mean, a good, good few thousand pounds later, the engine was built yeah. and sat on the side, um, so that was, so, and, and it, it, when you open the bonnet, you see the engine that they had in the 206 WRC, right, and uh, so that, that's how the engine went, body shell, well, you know, we're starting with a 206, which I bought in from Holland, um, the reason for that was I actually wanted to buy one from France so that I could have the French reg on the car. Yeah. Um, but um, we were get. I had a friend looking for some for me, but we were getting close to Brexit, and um, and I knew there might suddenly start to be import duties and taxes going on anything you imported. 
So I, and then and a friend of mine sort of came up and said, well, I've got one, I've got one, but it's in Holland. It's on a Dutch ridge. And he goes, but that will make it distinct. Why don't you go with that? So I did, we, we got that car. And um, so it's on a, on a, on a, a Netherlands ridge. Uh, left-hand drive and, and started you know i took it into the into an mot in the uk yeah got an mot so that the chassis number was in vote in the voza system uh, and um and then took it back to the workshop drove it back because it was running drove yeah. it back and then stripped the thing down through through everything away except the body shell yeah <laughs> i mean i mean everything <laughs> you know i mean and i'm not kidding i think we kept we kept the steering rack and the body shell yeah that was it everything else went every panel every trim every everything uh but that's how you have to start if you're going to do it properly you've got to go from ground zero now i mean apart from having a shall we say a, a slight rush of blood to the head and thinking about a mccray focus what is it about the french rally cars that you like <laughs> Nothing in particular. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what it was, was, certainly with the Renault 5, was that you could, because um, I'd had Gordini's from early on, Renault 5 Gordini's, it, it, was, it was a progression. Um, yeah. The Renault 5 seemed like a car that I'd had, and it seemed accessible at the time in the, in the 80s, l uh, uh, late 80s, early 90s, you had things like the 20, the Renault 5 Turbo, the that went into the GT Turbo. You had the 205 GTI 1.6 and 1.9, all phenomenal cars of their time. Yeah, and they were they were accessible. Now you did have the Ford Escort RS Turbos and stuff like that, but the money for an RS Turbo was that much more than if you wanted to have a, a 205 GTI. Yeah, and so these cars because of their pricing they were much more accessible and i was focused in on the renault 5s i mean i, I actually only got started on the renault 5 because somebody gave me one for free a friend of mine gave me a car yeah and, I, and, and you know he was at uni in brighton with it and uh and was finished with it he said do you want it and i said okay i'll have it <laughs> and so and that's where my renault 5 story starts but but it, well, it's not particularly because they're French, but it just it just has to be something that captures the imagination. And I don't know why they ended up being French for me. Yeah. Um, um, and I did, as I say, at one point, wanted to do a Focus, Ford Focus, and um, uh, but that didn't come to you know. I felt that in, a, in I'd gone to a car show. I think it was um, the Manchester Classic Show. Yeah. And, and there were two of them in the halls um, on display none of them four-wheel drive yeah. i would have done four-wheel drive but um it seemed as though they were easy to do people went off and went and got a cosy sierra cosy or an escort cosworth and took the running gear off and put the body shell on and yeah do all of that and, and it just all seemed a bit well anyone can do that um and with the 206 i knew that most people couldn't do it yeah. because it required specialist knowledge and, and an ability and a, and a level of complete nutjobness <laughs> you could achieve it <laughs> and uh, I just felt well I'm stupid enough I'll have a go so basically yeah. when I describe you as the happiest rally driver I know it's not that you're happy it's just you're slightly possibly mentally unbalanced <laughs> well it, it's, it's probably a combination of things and I think to take something like this on I mean I spoke to a friend of mine 
um, Steve Davis, who's um, who runs the Rally 22 group um, on Sunday. I spoke to him and, and we were talking about it because he, he said, well, you know, will it be ready for Chateau Wim, not Chateau Wim, for Chelsea Walsh yeah. and for Salon Privé? And I said, probably. And he said, he said, you know, um, in discussing with people what you've done, he said, it's, it's, um, there's, there's only a few people that could ever have pulled that off. You know that, Neil? And I said, well... Ooh, I said, I just, I just feel, I just, I just knew I could do it. I don't know why. <laughs> I just knew, and uh, I'd be doggedly determined to get this thing over the finish line. Yeah, and um, and and it's pretty much done. As I say, um, we're we're sort of ninety eight percent complete now. It's just the engine and, and the mapping after that, and it, it's done, and it's a full four-wheel drive, active diffs, front, centre and rear, hydraulic handbrake, um, prop shaft disconnect unit, um, full-size brakes, two-litre turbocharged, full international spec roll cage, the whole shebang. You've probably seen pictures of it on my Facebook page. Yeah. And it's a full... I mean, I went to Salon, Salon Privé at Blenheim Palace earlier last year, late last year, when Rally 22 were, being, were hosting an event with them. Um, and they had cars from the Richard Burns collection there. Yeah. And of course he had two. There was a red one and a silver 206, which I think are at BGM at the moment or wherever they are. And uh, I had a look round them. I mean, I was so far into my build by that time, there was no chance of me sort of impl implementing much of what they'd done on the original cars. But I looked at the cars carefully and I thought, I've actually done that bit better. Yeah. So I've actually over-engineered that bit there. It looks the same, but I've used a slightly heavier piece of material to do that, and they've gone really light with it. And you know, or maybe the grade of material they used was better. But I, uh, you know, the cars, the cars are the same by yeah. appearance. You know, and I've seen them; they are the same. Now, before we bring this to an end, which we will have to do very soon, is that it, or else is there something else you've got your eye on building? No, that that that's it. Um, <laughs> I don't think I I, I don't I, I want to build this car, finish it, and I don't want to work on building any other projects um, or taking any of that on. I just want to spend the time driving the cars, enjoying them, going to and fro from events. Um, if I've got to work, it's going to be maintenance. Yeah. But there are no projects. I've got people pressing me to do stuff, and I'm, and I'm doing an engine build for someone for a Renault 5 Turbo. Yeah. Um, a GT Turbo where he's putting a 2-litre engine in. And I'll do that stuff. That's work. That's yeah. not that's not about passion that's just work um so i'll do that but i'm, I'm not planning on any other projects uh, but i know my son's going to come up and go dad could we do this <laughs> he's, he's right into cars as well and um you know he's got his mazda there and he's got polos and he's got his youtube channel and you know he, he he's gonna i know it's gonna happen at some point he's gonna go dad can we build such and such and then i'll be like oh, yeah, okay all right <laughs> And then you go again, but yeah, that's the otherwise. Neil Brighton, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I know that you and the Renault 5 Maxi Turbo can be seen on various Lombard rally uh, events, and I conclude the Peugeot will follow suit. But Neil Brighton, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. It's always a pleasure chatting to you because you've you've chatted with me on the microphone live on many a start line. But once again, Neil Brighton, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for coming on the radio show. Thank you for letting me on. <laughs> Not many people like that. <laughs>
<laughs> Once again, Neil Brighton, thanks very much. Take care. beaten on price, never beaten on service. Whether it's cars, bikes or commercials, Hoddy Tyres are the best in the business. And when it comes to tyre expertise and advice to supplying the correct tyres for your vehicle's specific requirements, nobody comes close to David Lakin and the Hoddy Tyres team. So give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytyres.co.uk. 